1972, a crack commando unit was sent to a liturgical prison by a canonical court for a crime they didn't commit. These men promptly escaped from a maximum security diocesan stockade to the ecclesial underground. Today, still wanted by the Vatican, they survive as soldiers of fortune. If you have a problem, if no one else can help, and if you can find them, then you should listen to Libra Cristo War College. Good morning. Welcome to uh, War College. As you can see, noticeably absent is our, our fearless leader and, and outspoken spokesman, Jesse Romero. So you have to suffice for Kyle and I uh, together. We're here in the studio, uh, uh, southern, sunny Southern California, and uh, we're, we're, we're shooting some videos and doing some, some teachings that we're recording to, for future use, uh, both with Virgin Most Powerful and and uh, so we're here together for the first time. You rarely see this, uh, this, this site. So Kyle, welcome to California together with me and uh, welcome to the show. Thank you very much, Dan. It is great to be here. I never cease to be amazed at this operation that uh, Terry Barber and his benefactors have put together, this beacon of, of light, this beacon of truth. And uh, our prayers are with Jesse today as he is um, addressing the, the U.S. bishops. And so I... Uh, I am, like I said, I am just uh, very honored to be a small part of this. Yeah, I am too. Uh, you can see they got a huge footprint. Terry and Jesse got two million views in the last two weeks on their show, so they're doing something right. They're 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 uh, they're really proclaiming the truth. They're doing they're doing what lay people are supposed to be doing: evangelizing culture. And I really appreciate it about them. They inspire me, uh, and I'm sure they inspire you to keep to keep what we say in the military, Charlie Mike, to keep continue the mission. Precisely right. Yeah. So interestingly, a couple of weeks ago, I was coming out of mass in, a, in, a, in a, a, another city at a fraternity St. Peter mass. And I was walking out and a guy walks up to me and says, hey, are you Paul Clay? And I said, no, 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 I'm, I'm not Paul Clay, I, but I'm, 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 I'm over there with Virgin Most Powerful. I'm Dan Schneider. He goes, oh, OK, cool, Dr. Dan. So just now, just a minute ago, a guy bumped me on the shoulder and says, hey, are you Kyle Clement? <laughs> and I said, no. I'm not. Kyle Clement's in the studio. So you've got fans over here, and, uh, and apparently I've got a face made for radio and a voice that you just can't forget. So, uh, but it, it's pretty interesting. It, it's great to see you be a part of this apostle because, it, again, it's proclaiming the truth in charity, and this is what the Virgin Most Powerful is. If you want to support the ministry here, the apostolate that they have, please uh, um, do so um, and support what we're doing here through Virgin Most Powerful as well as everything that they're doing. Um, Kyle, before we get started, let me kind of introduce the topic. We've get a, we've get a lot of, of questions, um, and there's a lot of discussion on and, and confusion around the topic of generational spirits. Uh, last time I was here, I put a talk together on this subject. I've been doing a lot of research on it. What I found in my own research is, is confirming what we know from, the, from field experience. So I kind of want to talk a little bit today about this, um, about our field experience uh, the field experience, the kind of common experience of exorcists and even those working um, in the field of deliverance from other, from other approaches, there's kind of a commonality that, let me put it this way, we see on the battlefield a certain pattern, as you, as you have so eloquently taught that the demon patterns out, and we see certain patterns in generational spirit. So um, how, would you, how would you, let's start off by saying, let me ask you for a definition of a generational spirit or generational curse, and let's, let's build on it from there. It isn't uh, an area that's getting a lot of, of talk and discussion 
<clears throat> preliminary uh, preliminarily I would before I address your question directly <clears throat> I would like to to point out a couple of things one is that the reason one of the reasons that that I am here in this part of traditional Catholicism is because it's functional I think that when you look back at our experience just as men um, you can't feed you can't feed a family on theory you can't protect someone um, on theory, this is one of the disconnects with academics, people um, who are fat on food they did not raise, clothed, in, clothed with wool they did not spin, warmed by wood they did not cut, are giving, um, deforming our children. They're taking um, the bulk of the population away from what we know to be true. And we as men, um, our voice has largely been silenced, practical men, um, who make a payroll, who, who feed a family. Now, the reason that I went through that is because you look at generational sin either from a theoretical perspective or from an in-your-face, in-the-mud perspective. Um, you can sit at the point, you can sit at Annapolis, you can watch the charts, you can play, you can move things all over the uh, topo map, you can do all of those things. But until you get into the suck, until you get into on the field with it, it's not real. Um, and so a, a curse, first of all, is to understand a curse metaphysically. A curse is an inverse of a blessing. Um, a, a malapus is an ongoing cursing in the same way that it's an ongoing blessing. You and I were in a, um, you and I were in a mass this morning, and the final dismissal is the priest, in a very sacerdotal way, gathers the merits of the mass he makes a motion, he gathers the merits of the Mass, and then he blesses us and confers the merits of the Mass and the blessing upon us. This changes uh, our disposition toward the flow of grace. Well, the reciprocal of that, a curse, is to impede the flow of grace and to take one away from right relationship with God. So, that's the preamble. Generational curses are three, three of three types mainly because the word generation is used three ways. And so let's talk about that. Primary uh, definition and the one you're going to see the most of, that we see the most of, um, none of these, what I'm going to give you is theoretical. It's all field experience. It's subjective uh, uh, observation. The first and most common generational curse is a person will make a pledge to a diabolical entity and in the same way that we pray for protection as a patriarch and we pray for protection for our family, for our children, for our grandchildren, that they may be spared any, um, any uh, damage, any, any adverse activity temporally and spiritually. We pray for their welfare. They, we pray for their well-being. We pray that they know and, and continue to have a relationship with God. Well, the curse impedes, is designed to impede all of that. And so an, a person will make a set of vows, um, and the extent to which the vows are made formally is the extent to which the demon can be present to their family line, to their generations. Uh, scripturally, and I know you'll go into this, Dan, uh, what we find in the field is it squares exactly with what the church fathers said, not what the modern novel theologians pursue, but the church fathers were clear on all of this, and what they said is we see it bear out in, uh, in the field. And so that generational curse exists down to the third and fourth generation, allowing a demon to be present um, to people. 
the demon's not present all the time. There has to be a religious context. So once someone starts to give their life uh, to God, once they start to pursue a vocation um, within the Catholic Church, then usually they're beset with physical maladies, psychological maladies, etc. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, what comes to mind in your initial statement uh, uh, of how we, we, we stand in the stream of tradition and— uh, uh, when I, my, in my own theological training, I, I remember this quote early on in my studies, we stand on the shoulders of giants. We are, we are midgets, dwarfs, sitting on the shoulders of giants. And, and what I love about this topic, um, and, and there's dangers to it, I want to get into some of the dangers of it. Um, um, what I love about the topic, because, because it, it, there's, there's, cross, there's, there's crossing over into multiple fields, how scripture was received, the early tradition history, or what's called reception history, how scripture was received in the early church is very critical. How we see the Old Testament and the New Testament, uh, it crosses over into dogmatic theology, uh, it, it crosses over into moral theology, it crosses over into uh, uh, um, um, our, 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 the authority structure, because oftentimes we're seeing from field experience, it's through the abdication of the authority structure and, and that the evil spirits are entering into the family lines, just as, you know, uh, the original sin of Adam opened up and, infest, in a sense, infected or affected uh, the, 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 the entire family line, human families, so individual family lines are, are affected. So authority structure plays in, but also our understanding of God and his, and his, and his perfect justice and his perfect uh, mercy. So all these elements of theology come to bear through this one particular issue, which, which for me, again, the more I, the more I affirm through research uh, what I'm seeing in, in the field and learning in the field, uh, it makes perfect sense. And I, that's why I find the issue quite interesting. I, I want to start saying theologically that the original sin, what we understand original sin is the prototypical, it's prototypical of all sin. Right. And so we see in the Catechism, for example, um, we, we see that, that there's a twofold effect of sin. We see that there, the, the Catechism 1472, to understand the doctrine and practice of the church, it's necessar necessary to understand that sin has a double consequence. Grave sin deprives us of communion with God and therefore makes us incapable of eternal life, the privation of which is called eternal punishment. Uh, the eternal punishment of sin. On the, on the other hand, every sin, even venial, entain, entails an unhealthy attachment to creatures, which must be purified he, he, either here on earth or after death in a state called purgatory. This purification frees us from what is called the temporal punishment due to sin. These two punishments must not be conceived as a kind of vengeance inflicted by God from without, but as following from the very nature of sin. A conversion which proceeds from a fervent charity can, as, uh, um, can attain complete purification for the sinner in such a way that no punishment would remain. And so we see this double consequence. So in the next paragraph, 1473, the forgiveness of sin and the restoration of communion with God entails the remission of eternal punishment of sin, but a temporal punishment of sin remains. While patiently bearing sufferings and trials of every kind, when the day comes, serenely facing death, the Christian must strive to accept this temporal punishment, sin, as a grace. So we'll pick up right there. So we see the twofold effect of sin. We'll pick up there in the next segment. You're listening to Wednesday War College, Virgin Most Powerful. We are here at the Mother House, Virgin Most Powerful Studios, Kyle Clement, Dan Schneider. Don't change the dial.
Okay, Wednesday War College, Virgin Most Powerful Radio, Dan Schneider, Kyle Clement. Uh, back with you today, we're talking about uh, generational sin. I cover this in the book, and much of what I uh, put in the book, uh, uh, the Libra Christo Manual, we encourage you to, to, to buy this book because we teach a lot of the stuff in there. I cite Kyle Clement 49 times in this book, Father Ripperger 150 times. He's got you beat three to one. But, uh, but this is basically, this, this manual is going into all these t- subjects so we can get a clear uh, uh, understanding of them. My attempt in, in doing this is to provide some clarity in a field that is, there's a, a shrouded with speculation. Uh, in many areas, um, we've got the, uh, things being introduced that are uncritically accepted from Protestant Christianity. And so what Kyle and I are doing in union with Father Ripperger is trying to return uh, back to Catholic norms, our understanding. And so going back to what we're talking about, speaking of Catholic norms, the debate about generational spirit or generational sin, and St. Augustine would call this inherited guilt. And this is, remember, he's the doctor of grace. He, and so I'll, shortly I'll get into, into that, but I want to first I want you to flesh out the catechism. Well, the catechism says in 1472 and 73, there's a double punishment for sin, a double punishment, eternal punishment of death and the temporal punishment uh, which flows from the nature of sin, says the catechism. And so and then the Catechism talks about the temporal punishment as a way of restoring restoration to God, uh, 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 restoring justice. Because the whole idea of justice, dikaiosune is the Greek word. That means balance. That means restoring order. So this word is the legal term. If you commit a crime in society, by doing a punishment for that crime, for example, uh, um, you bring balance back to the polity. This is a Greek word, the Greek understanding. And we understand that. It means balance. Joseph, the just man, Dike, he was just, he had perfect balance. And so in, in, the, in the natural realm, when a crime is committed, there's an imbalance introduced. And so the catechism says here that there's a twofold punishment, a twofold consequence, and that redemptive suffering makes satisfaction for the sins and also breaks the effect of the sin. So a volitional act purifies the effect of a volitional act. Does that make sense, Kyle? Yeah, and so I think that, you know, there was at one time we talked about uh, a penitentiary sentence was paying your debt to society. Right, yeah, he paid his debt, right? After you, you know, he served his time, he paid his debt. Exactly, and and in the translation of the Our Father forgives our, forgive us our debts as we forgive those, uh, our debtors. Right. Um, this understanding of, of an owing um, and the, and the translation into trespass, if you look at the paternoster in Latin, it's, it's clearer. The debt language is clear. Um, and so this is more of a function of justice. And it's more of a function of vertical justice. And I think that's a key to understand is that all justice must flow vertically before it flows horizontally. Because all justice uh, is divine justice. It has in its root divine justice. This was what Augustine was talking about with regard to original sin. There is an act which has an, a temporal consequence, right. and that temporal consequence must be addressed. Yeah, I want to go into something St. Thomas says. Um, and again, we're bringing this topic up because there's a lot of confusion. And um, I was recently kind of going through my bookshelf and making room for new books, getting rid of old books, and I came across the book by Father de Grandis on generational spirits and generation, healing the family tree or something. And I read that. I think it was it kind of reintroduced through the charismatic renewal back in the 70s. And, uh, and so I was reading this and I thought, well, you know, what he says is, is it's, it's, it's actually pretty good. You know, uh, um, 
I'm not, I don't, I wouldn't trust all of his, his theology. Uh, you know, as I, as I remarked to you earlier, even a broken clock is right twice a day. And so he has actually, what he writes here is very good. And it, oftentimes we're, we have people in the church that are dismissing this understanding of generational spirits because it was reintroduced into the church. Again, sometimes uncritically accepted uh, from Protestant Christianity. But here's what St. Thomas says. Thomas notes the distinction between the spiritual and temporal punishment. He says the former, the spiritual, pertains to the soul, so spiritual punishment does not pass from one person to the other. This is a very clear distinction, that the spiritual punishment does not pass from one person to the other. The temporal punishment, he said, is different. Here's what he says, quote, With temporal punishment, sometimes one is punished for the sins of another because one man is the temporal good, the res of another. And so in his punishment, the other is also punished, as the children are, according to the body, a certain thing belonging to the father. In other words, St. Father Ripperger says, even if the father is condemned to hell or loses his state of grace, this does not cause the children to be condemned to hell or lose their spiritual uh, uh, the, or lose their state of grace. And so the, if the spiritual was passed on to the children, that would be deterministic. There, you know, meaning if this happens, this, uh, the spiritual punishment is passed on to the children. What Thomas is saying, which is consistent with the, with the new catechism, that's the temporal punishment that can pass on. Here's what he says. Sometimes this is allowed so that a descendant can drive the demon out of a family line to, quote, rectify the sin of an ancestor or to, quote, expel him from the family lines. And so this Father Ripperger concludes that the, th the second thing of importance is that someone can be punished by the temporal punishment due to sin, that the effects of the sin can be passed to another individual. So even though the sin does not pass, the effect of the sin can pass. That's a key distinction I think that is lost or collapsed in many modern theologians who are weighing in on this topic, that the, the, the spiritual, the, spiritual uh, the double consequence says, or the spiritual and temporal effects, the effect of the sin, this is why Augustine referred to it as inherited guilt, the effect of the sin passes on to the children, which is completely consistent with what Scripture says. Kyle? Well, you're precisely right. It's what we see it played out in the field. I, I want to make a couple of observations. One is the reason that the modern Jesuitical no, novel theologian who is searching and scrambling for something new to define, you know, to justify his existence. Um, one of the reasons they're having a problem with this is because modernly we have inverted the temporal, the corporal works of mercy over the spiritual works of mercy. And so we're placing, when you have a prelate, an American prelate, who looks his flock in the eye and says, my primary concern is your health and welfare, then you see the, the dynamic dysfunction that is in the church. His primary concern is our eternal salvation and the preservation of the faith by which we can achieve it. That's right. his primary concern. And so it's not that his, he has an opinion. He's, he's mistaken. He's heretical. And we need to talk about these things in these terms because the demon wants us to equivocate. The demon wants us to, to bring social justice, horizontal justice, into the primacy, and we forget vertical justice. Spiritual realm is vertical justice. Temporal realm <coughs> is horizontal justice. In the same way, Dan, that you will inherit the, um, the fortune of your father upon his death, you will also inherit his debts. Yeah. His debts yeah. live past him. His, uh, his fortune lives past him. A, a classic example of this is if your father um, incurs a tremendous amount of debt and lacks the assets to pay them, whose responsibility is that? Right. They're not responsible 
the, the effect of the sin of the father is now carried in the form of a debt so that the, the child can now, he inherits the guilt of his father. He's not punished. I mean, the father is punished in the children. The father himself is culpable, but the effect of that is passed on to the children, and, the, and they're given opportunity to rectify that. Precisely, and I think this needs to be brought to bear into, into, the, into the current world. This country currently has a deficit which we cannot pay. And so it's going to in, it's going to uh, burden at least four to five generations if we balance the budget today. We're five generations away from this country paying a debt for which they receive no benefit. Uh, this is a classic example of what you're talking yeah. about: the temporal yeah. consequences of sin. It's a function of justice. It's got to be paid. Wait. Here's what St. Bonaventure says. Remember, doctor of the church. Now, the Franciscans among us, I've, been, I've worked with Franciscans, and they've pointed out that he's the seraphic doctor, and Thomas is the angelic doctor. Uh, and there's constantly debate and nuances among the, between the two. But I want to go to the Franciscan theology for a moment. St. Bonaventure says this, that God allows the demon to afflict us. He allows us to suffer affliction for four reasons. Number one, to punish sin. So God allows this to punish us for sins. We, we suffer affliction at, 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 for the punishment of sin, for the revealing of his glory, right? That God allows us to suffer to reveal his glory. So every time we conquer, you've got the sin of impurity in your family you know, you, that, that you may have allowed in. God allows that so that you can struggle with it to, to drive that out and bring more glory to God. To rebuke the sinner, number three. He allows, God allows afflictions in our lives so that he can rebuke us and caution us, to warn us. It's kind of like playing that game Operation. If you remember, we were kids. You had the, the, the metal board. They could never allow this game in today's. The lawyers would be all over this game. If you remember Operation, you had this metal tweezers and you had to reach in. And it was an it was electrified board. And if you touch it, you got shocked and it would scare the crap out of you playing this game. I love that game. So it's like operation. God says, you're getting a little too close. You're getting too close to the boundaries. It puts you back on track to rebuke the sinner. And finally, for our education, to, so, so we can become better soldiers for Christ. So God allows us to be afflicted. This is why in the old ritual of confirmation, what did the bishop do? He slapped you, right? It was, wake up. This is the spiritual combat. And so, and so God allows this. Let's be very clear that the spiritual effect stays upon the Father, but the, but the, 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 the temporal effects pass on can can pass on to the children it's not deterministic kyle well you're precisely right and i think let's look at some some very uh ele uh, not only elementary but universal principles and that is the function of a father we've lost fatherhood uh, because fathers this involves uh, discipline it involves corporal discipline and let me go there for a minute because this is something that has disappeared from our society and it does the correction and parenting is disappearing it's disappearing from our priests they're no longer spiritual fathers so accompaniment does not mean the shepherd follows the sheep as they aimlessly wander around a range which is strange to them the shepherd must go ahead and lead the sheep follow them lead them to good nutrition good water etc it's the same with a father but there has to be a corporal element. And here's the corporal element that is the universal principle for the, principle for the temporal consequence of sin. St. Thomas makes clearly the case that the intellect and the will are the rash, together they make up the rational quality and they are unique to the soul of the human to operate in concert to achieve the good. That is the proper ordering of the intellect and the will. 
And so when the intellect and the will are properly ordered to this end, we are acting as rational creatures. At the moment that we elevate the lower faculties, for instance, emotion and desires, instinct, the moment that we elevate those above, we are descending out of the rational quality. We give up the rational quality. And then we become irrational, lacking the rational quality. And the only way to affect that communication is through corporal consequence. Um, for instance, you tell a child three times, don't do that, don't do that, don't do that. They're not using the rational quality. They're not responding uh, to the authority or to whatever the direction may be. Um, and then there has to be a corporal consequence. God does this with us. There is a corporal consequence. The corporal consequence to sin is suffering and death. Very simple. That is the corporal consequence that was instituted in Genesis 3. All right, going back to the twofold effect, the twofold effect of sin. Precisely. The spiritual and the temporal. Precisely. The spiritual effect was eviction from the garden, loss of proximity to God. The temporal consequence is the toil and labor to sustain one. And the pen of concupiscence. We'll come back to this right after this. Uh, Wednesday War College talking about generational spirits, generational sins, trying to bring some clarity. Don't change the dial. Come back with us. We're back Wednesday, War College. Dan Schneider, Kyle Clement. We're at the, uh, the Mother House of Truth, the Virgin Most Powerful Studio. With many thanks to Terry Barber, our host, the host with the most. We're doing some, some shooting here. If you want to support our work, please do uh, through Virgin Most Powerful, uh, trying to get the DDT out there, Devil Defeating Theology. We're talking about something today, the theology of generational curses, what, what in, in the patristic thought would be considered inherited guilt. We've established that there's a difference between the spiritual punishment and the temporal punishment. Here's what it says in Scripture. Let's go back to Scripture because Scripture gives us the referential language of theology. This is why I love this topic. My own background, my own, my own doctoral work was in how Scripture develops into the early church. This is why I found this topic quite fascinating. And, and then the last thing I want to get into some practical application. Several places in the, in, the, in the Pentateuch, remember, God himself says these things. You shall not, this is when he, at the great theophany at Sinai, you shall not make yourself an idol, whether in the form of anything that is in heaven above or on the earth beneath or that's under the earth. You shall not bring, bow down and worship them. For I, the Lord, your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the iniquity of their parents. The Hebrew phrase is avon avot. This has been debated for centuries from the beginning, okay? Or to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to the thousandth generation of those who love me and keep my commandments. Deuteronomy 5.8, same thing. I am a jealous God. Punish the children for the iniquity of the parents to the third and fourth generation. That first one was Exodus 20. This is Deuteronomy 5. Remember, in, in Psalm 96, 96.5, it says, For all the gods of the peoples, of the Gentiles, are demons. The quonium omnes dei gentium daimonia. The gods of the Gentiles are demons. And so God says, those who hate me. This is when he gave the law. Those who hate me. How do we hate him? By violations of the first commandment when we offer false worship to false gods. Um, other places, in, in, um, um, when Moses uh, cut the two stone tablets, God, he, uh, the Lord, the Lord, God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, the Lord passed before him, the Lord proclaimed, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping a steadfast love. This is, has said, this is the covenant fidelity of God. 
forgiving the iniquity, uh, uh, iniquity and transgression and sin, yet by no means clearing the guilty, but visiting the iniquity of the parents upon the children and upon the children's children to the third and fourth generation. Ironically, not ironically, but, but uh, in the old ritual of matrimony, the priest declares a blessing. May this couple be blessed to the third and fourth generation. So we see this covenantal nuptial language carries into the New Testament. Leviticus, the same thing. Leviticus 26, they shall languish because of the iniquities of their ancestors for those who, who are violating the covenant of God. Um, Jeremiah 32, you show steadfast love to the thousandth generation, but repay the guilt of the parents into the laps of the children after them. So we see... And the, the words of God and then carried into the prophets. And I'm going to get into Jeremiah and Ezekiel in a second. But we see that God's, God's punishment, the effect of the sin, is God punishes the parents for the effect of the sin of the, of the, of the children. Uh, in the children. In the New Testament, we see in, in, in Mark's gospel, we have the Syrophoenician woman who says to Jesus, or Mark says, her little daughter. In English, it says her daughter, but the Greek is Thugarion, her little daughter. And Jesus said, it's not right to give to the little daughter what belongs to the little dog, to give to the little dogs what belongs to the children. There's a play on words there that's lost in English. And so the only other time that word is used in the New Testament is Jairus's daughter, also in Mark's gospel. So, and, and Jairus's daughter, Mark tells us, was 12 years old. So now you've got a girl afflicted by a demon who's 12 years old. That's pretty young. That's pretty young. Uh, but then later in Mark's gospel, Jesus is, uh, the apostles are trying to drive a demon out. They can't drive the demon out. In Mark chapter 9, Jesus asked the Father, uh, how long has this been happening? And what did he say? Uh, the Greek is uh, paidiothen, uh, since he was a child, since he was in, in as smallest form as a human being. And Jerome translated ab infantia, ab infantia. So since he was an infant, so how can this be if there's no such thing? So we have two different, two different strains here of understanding. The temporal punishment oftentimes needs to be ratified. We see this in the field that this, this curse could be lingering over a family, but it needs to be ratified by the personal participation or the, 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 the commit of grave sin as the parents committed, but also we're seeing in infants as well. So we see kind of a, a double nuance here in, the, in, in Scripture. What do you see, Paul, uh, Kyle, from your experience? Well, you're exactly right. When you apply, <coughs> this, <clears throat> when you apply this to the sacraments, what happens, uh, especially in the extraordinary form, uh, there are th there's a threefold exorcism. There's one at the threshold uh, of the church. There's one in the narthex, and there's one at the font. This addresses the three hierarchies made up of the nine choirs. But the, the point being is that in order, it, this is all building toward what the priest is going to do when he calls the Holy Spirit down into this child. Then the rest of the child's life is going to be, once he receives faith, hope, charity, this, this influx of, of the three theological virtues, then he's going to either affirm and nurture those or he's going to depart. Uh, the desire to depart or the predilection to depart, that is concupiscence, as you, as you explain. And so ours is not an inclination toward the good. Ours is an inclination away from the good. So there's a constant effort. This is one of the effects of original sin. Um, <clears throat> this is one of those temporal consequences so that each soul gets to make its affirmation for God. They're not taken up by God by default. They have to make this constant movement, this demacatio, this struggle, this march, if you will, uh, toward God 
And so holiness is not a default. It's something to strive for, something to be achieved. This in and of itself is a consequence uh, of, of sin that is visited upon each and every one of us. Yeah, so, and here's the thing on the effect of original sin. Remember, original sin is the prototypical sin of all sin. It has a spiritual and a temporal effect, according to the Catechism. So, and the develop, I mentioned Franciscans, another Franciscan, Duns, Blessed Duns Scotus, um, and the developed the, theological understanding of original sin that St. Augustine laid down for us, um, we, see, we see original sin not so much as a negative being infused into hum, the human family, but a privation of grace, yeah. a lack, a, a lack, St. Augustine would say this, a lack of the blessing, of the protection that comes with blessing. So if you understand that, that it's, it's the spiritual effect of the sin falls upon those who commit the sin, but there's a, lack of, there's a lack of protection that comes with blessing. This is why the blessing of a father is very, very important. The, the effect of a father blessing his children is extremely important. And original sin, we see, is restored. The spiritual effect is restored through baptism, but the temporal effect remains in the form of concupiscence. Through the, what, what, what Bede and St. Uh, Venerable Bede and others talk about the four wounds of the fall. The wounding of the fall leads us to a disoriented way because we lack the full protection of blessing uh, uh, that the effect of the fall still remains in us. It's not deterministic. Let's be clear that the effect passes forward and, the, the, and, it's, and it's experienced, and I've seen this in the field and so have you, there's a lack of blessing. It's a privation of blessing which leads to a vulnerability. I think, too, if you expound, you're exactly right when you get laid out in, in the field. If you take, too, uh, that one line from the exalted, oh, happy fault, you, you find that there is almost a, a projection, an archetype, prototype, if you will, because what happens is the one tree, the one transgression becomes the sin of all, but it becomes instantly the opportunity for fidelity to all all it's a mer it's a mercy god gives us each uh in the avoidance of sin and the pursuit of holiness he gives us each um access to the tree uh to reject it to follow him and follow him alone each of us has that opportunity and in the same way that christ must ascend so that the holy spirit can descend original sin makes present to all the opportunity for fidelity, the opportunity for heroic virtue, the opportunity to grow um, godlike in our pursuit and desire for him. And so it gives us a fulcrum to exercise free will. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Here's what St. Augustine said, Doctor of the Church. He said that mortality was the most significant component of the heritage that Adam and Eve passed their descendants, death. That is, he said, God punished their sin by removing the gift that had protected them from death and body dissolution. So the effect of sin is, is death by removing the gift, by removing the, the gift that protected them. And so this is significant um, in understanding his, uh, the church's early understanding of inherited guilt. He said this, there is an affective shift, meaning there's a vulnerability in the effect of the sins upon the parents. So just as the affective shift we could now call concupiscence. St. Augustine says that food, drink, sex, right? Concupiscence, um, the things that caused, uh, um, that, that used to, to that, that would now help us on our militate for mortality are now disordered and, and used in, an, in, a, in a disordered, affectual way. And so we, we see the effect of concupiscence continue because of lack of this blessing. He said that there was, there was a removal of the gift that protected them from death. 
Um, so we can see then a curse is just the lack of a blessing. The effect of the sin seen in the sense of, uh, in the form of punishment, as St. Bonaventure said, is felt as a lack of grace, a lack of grace in, in, in the family line, just as in the human family, so now in, a, in an individual family line, there could be a lack of grace, a lack of the blessing of protection. Kyle? You're precisely right. So what we see is in these families that are uh, subject to the blessing, there is a Christ-like figure in that family, someone willing to suffer, someone willing to do the reparation, someone willing to enter the religious life, someone willing to give themselves totally without reservation right, right. to God. And so once you see that, then the curse is broken and the blessing is ushered in. They don't exist simultaneously. The same mouth cannot effectively curse and bless. And so the family is either moving toward God or away from God. Um, we see this very, very clearly. This is one of the reasons in the protocol that the entire family has to pray the prayers. Um, because if they're not hearts of one accord, then you have a house divided. This is one of the reasons why it is necessary for everyone to participate in this, because no one exists without familial... The whole family is affected. Correct. Exactly. Exactly. So the whole family is affected, therefore the whole family must militate against it, not just one individual. One individual is kind of the, the, the point man or point woman that, right. that God is allowing for Christ, uh, to be Christ to that family. Not once, this is Augustine, not once but many times God said that he punishes the children for sins of their parents, but in these passages he did not say that he punishes parents for the sins of the children, but parents punishes the child for the sins of another or friends, but, but, but the... He wanted us to know that when this is said, it is generation, not imitation. Lame. He lays a foundation for this. Let's pick this up in the next segment. War College, Dan Schneider, Kyle Clem. We're back. Welcome to Wednesday War College, Dan Schneider, Mr. Kyle Clements, my good friend and mentor. Talking about orig uh, original sin and the effects of it as prototypical of generational sin or generational spirits, what in the language of the church, uh, the fathers of the church, is inherited guilt. So St. Augustine, I'm working off St. Augustine's uh, uh, work against, uh, uh, against the Pelagians, uh, the third book. He's debating Julian of Eclanum, who was later declared, you know, declared a heretic of the church for his Pelagianism. And we're talking, he's defending the, 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 he's defending the doctrine of original sin by pointing to generational sin or inherited guilt. And so here's what he says, though. we got to understand this is not deterministic, because here's the problem, is that a lot of people, they want to pull the Geraldine thing. The devil made me do it. Gee, I, I have all these problems because my grandparents were, were into witchcraft. It's, it's not my fault. I'm not, you know, I just inherited this disaster. And that's a false understanding. We'll get into that in a second, because here's what Augustine says. First of all, we got to see that, that he says that a generation or inherited guilt is part of the temporal punishment, which is right out of the, the new catechism. It removes the gift that had protected them, number one. That's a key point. Number two, it's not deterministic. He says that, quote, some sins of certain parents are passed on to their children, not by imitation, but by generation, and are punished in them. Again, how long has this been with him? Uh, how long has this been happening? Jesus asked the father of the possessed child since ab infantia, since he was an infant. Since he first developed any, any discernment of all of his as a physical values, it, it was obvious to hear. And so, but it's not deterministic. It's not every single time. In some way, he says, some sins of certain parents are passed on to their children, not by imitation, but by generation, and are punished in them. 
But even, and here's what he says, even if other parents commit many sins because they sin with a weak soul and in a corruptible body which weighs down the soul, nature does not become destined to die because of their sins. And by God's secret and just judgment, the children receive for the sins of these parents a punishment that is far different and far less. I think that's a key point. The spiritual punishment is not there, but the temporal effect is there. And, and St. Augustine says that children receive for their sins of the parents a punishment that is far different and far less. So it's consistent with what we're seeing in the field and what you're saying, that God is allowing this as punishment, but ultimately to bring glory to God so that the family, as St. Thomas says, can eradicate the spirit from the family line. Kyle? Exactly right. There's a, It's an opportunity to be Christ-like. I think you, you pull back and get a bigger view and... We see this universally in, in liberation is liberation doesn't truly start until the person stops asking why this is happening and right begins now. to say, how can I use this? Because if you find yourself in this arena, born into a Freemasonic family or born into a, a family of Satanists, and you find yourself being called to God, you got to bear in mind that God sent you mission-oriented to that conception for the purpose of affecting sal salvation. We're all sent mission-specific. And so he sends our soul in the same way that he, sends, uh, he sent his son. Right. In the fullness of time, born of a woman, etc. But he chooses your gender. He chooses your ethnicity. He chooses your culture. He chooses your time in history. And it's very, very specific. So the idea, this is Luciferian to say, why is this happening to me? And it's Marian to say, right. how can I use it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, we hear an objection. I've heard this before. Uh, Deuteronomy 24. Fathers will not be put to death for the sins of their sons, nor the children for the sins of their fathers. Each will die for his own sin. And, and at first, it's glances. That's contradictory. Okay, first of all, that's Moses speaking. God himself said at Sinai, but we're talking about two different levels of justice. Right. St. Augustine said divine justice and human justice are not the same, and it isn't the punishment, the spiritual effect, it's the temporal effect, number one. So that, that in this particular set of Deuteronomy, the Holiness Code, we're talking, Moses is giving human law, which, which is different than divine law. Divine law, divine justice is perfect, and so is his mercy. Another one is Ezekiel and Jeremiah, both talk about an adage that was common at the time of Israel in exile. The children, the father eats grapes, green grapes, and the children's teeth are set on end. Again, we're not the first to debate this. Like Julian of Aclanum quoted the exact same thing. Right. Uh, and Augustine answered it by saying, first of all, God was the one who spoke uh, the words of Sinai, and this is a prophet. And a prophecy has a twofold level of meaning. The prophet is speaking for today, and he's also speaking to the future. St. Augustine says this, and speaking for today, he is saying that you are in exile. Don't blame your parents. You will soon be delivered, and you will be responsible for your own behavior. So don't, no longer blame your parents. The don't, get, don't pull the Geraldine thing, okay? The devil made me do it. My parents sinned. The second he said, prophecy points to the future, and the future that, that, that both of these prophets, Jeremiah and Ezekiel, are pointing to is baptism. That no longer, it's, through, it's the original sin of our parents is going to be eradicated through baptism. And now we now can appropriate or not appropriate the sin of our parents uh, that we inherited through generation. And that this prophesies the washing, the, the, the regeneration of baptism is what St. Augustine, how he addressed this when he was uh, uh, um, uh, presented this by Julian McClellan. Kyle? Yeah, you're exactly right. Let's go to that exile um, 
analogy and, and imagery because it's extremely important to understand the green grapes quote in light of what the patristics said. You, your context is that the exiled population wants to blame their fathers and, and claim innocence. And the exegesis on that or the, or the interpretation, the patristic interpretation was universally this, that you may find yourself in exile, us, in this hoc lacre marum vale, this valley of tears, this exile. We find ourselves here because of the sins of our parents, Adam and Eve. But if we are going to return to the Paradiso, now that's on us. And so everyone has a function. And so this green grapes thing is you can't languish in exile, oh, woe is me, um, and say, I'm here because my parents, uh, my sins, and I'm powerless to do anything about it. No, no, the, the patrician right. said this, in fact, gives you clear mission is that you're, you're to return to that place of inheritance, that place where we're supposed to be. Yeah, that you're, you're, you're saying exactly what Augustine says. First, like you said, this prophecy used by both prophets points us to a future fulfillment in Christ yeah. And the waters, what he calls the waters of regeneration of baptism. But also, here's what he says. This, he also argues that the, 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 the personal appropriation of sin in the will for our culpability, he, he affirms the fact that man is self-determining and, and must assent to the rejection, uh, assent to or the rejection of sinful desires. Here's what he says. Consent, quote, consent makes the inherited sin personal. Yes. And reviving the guilt removed by the baptism into Christ. Exactly. He's warning that your consent, the original sin is going to be upon you. The sins of your parents, going back to the prototypical sin of our original parents, is going to carry to you. The effect of that sin is going to carry to us. It's going to be, the spiritual effect is going to be removed. Death, is, death has been conquered in the waters of baptism. The effect of the sin and the four wounds of the fall, according to the fathers of the church, those effects are going to continue in us. And then he warns us, consent makes inherited sin personal. Reviving the guilt removed by the baptism into Christ. This is a very key, key point that consent is very critical. But let's look at, you're exactly right, but let's look at the righteous application. It is consent through confirmation that makes one fully initiated into the faith. And, and so it's the same formula. Right. Um, our parents get us baptized. And then we start to ascent through either communion or the next, sec the next sacrament to where we are fully initiated into the church. Apostasy works in the same three steps. Um, we may be born to apostate parents who do not have us baptized. That's always our election. We can always come in um, into a right relationship with God. Every soul, no matter how distant from God, no matter how depraved their um, spiritual ghetto in which they were born may be, they have the profundest privilege, the Psalm 130 privilege, where creature cries to creator, out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord, and he is heard. No soul is beyond uh, redemption, beyond addressing whatever circumstances they may be in. Yeah, uh, the Augustine also argues by pointing to human nature and the defects, even though we, we, we now have eternal life, but there are the physical defects. Again, he says, children in God's secret and just judgment, children receive for the sins of these parents a punishment that is far different and far less. Therefore, human beings are born with a defect. You think that we are saying that the devil is their creator. You're so blind or stubborn. This, imagine the debate back then. 
that you cannot or will not even uh, notice that bodily defects with which some are born. If you ask, how do they merit such defects, you will find nowhere to flee except over the cliff, as long as you don't want to return to the solid rock of the Catholic Church. <laughs> so the physical defects that we see, uh, um, you know, I have a friend who, who was born with an eye, degenerative eye disease. It passes every other generation through the, through the females affecting the males. I'm not saying that that's a generational sin. That's a, that's a physical defect because of the sin of Adam. And it's, and it's random. It's patterned, but it's random. So, so his, the, the, the proclivity in the, the physical side that, that could happen to the children along these lines. And I think by analogy, Augustine is saying these physical defects point us to the reality of the spiritual defects, which is a lack of pr- blessing, a privation of grace that is part of the, the inherited guilt, the temporal punishment due to sin. You're precisely right, and I want to bring this home. If you want to talk about physical defects within a society, then you, then it's right here among us. We are looking at the third and fourth generation of contraception. We are looking at part of, I think you can... Pornography, fourth, third or fourth generation now of, of, of... You trace back all of this transgender mass depravity this mental defect, these mental diseases based upon our physicality. You can even look back at the, um, at the incident of uh, autism, at the incident of um, allergies. All of these things have a direct, huge uptick that correlates with contraception. Um, and so contraception is the sin of society. It's a sin that um, all of society has participated in to the point that you look at populations like um, non-contracepting populations, Mennonites, uh, Hutterites, Amish, they don't have the incident of autism. They do not have the incident of allergies. They do not have these incidents, these secondary and tertiary physical maladies um, that militate against quality of life like the rest of secular society. We better pay attention to that and and look at the impact of vaccines, look at all of these things um, that we, these are the temporal consequences of, of sin. Yeah, Cal, we talk about it in the book here as well, the Libra Cristo Method. I encourage the readers to get that. We talk, I talk briefly about that and how to get out. Um, whether you got to go from here, when I was in Buron, uh, well, we're wrapping it up. There's one way out, and that's living the Catholic faith. Exactly this type right. only comes out through prayer and fasting. You've got, to, you've got to double down and grow in virtue. You've got to make sacrifices. You be Christ to the world. Kyle, that's the music. we got the Apache chatter coming up here, uh, 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 bringing us home. I appreciate you coming on. I appreciate Terry Barber and everything they do at uh, Virgin Most Powerful. Any last words to, uh, for our listeners? Get holy or die trying. Hey, I've heard that before. The only state to live in is where? <laughs> State of grace. 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 Thank you. Thank you. Next week, same bat time, same Christ time, same Christ channel. We are, as Jesse says, end of watch, end of duty. Uh, time to hit the officers club, right, Kyle? <laughs>